We're in, in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, third chapter of the book of Philippians. And uh, uh, just three verses, verse 12, 13, and 14. And I want to ask the question tonight as we think about this. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I, I remember as a child, uh, we, we would have to go from Corrigan over to Tig, Mahar over in that area there. And, and uh, in an old Plymouth, it was, you know, it was a, no air conditioning. And, uh, and it was, you know, Daddy, uh, he only smoked a cigar when he was driving. That's the only time he would smoke a cigar. He'd have a King Edward cigar, and never will forget one day we were riding through uh, down on Highway 79 to Trinity River Bottom there. It's a long bridge there between Fairfield and Palestine uh, there, Buffalo and all. And the seat just kept getting hotter and hotter. And there were three of us boys in the back, and we just kept saying, it is hot. And Mom would say, just be quiet, it's, you know, and roll the windows down a little bit more. Well, man, it got hot. I'm talking hot. So finally, we saw smoke coming up. And Daddy always had his window down just a little bit, and an ash had come in there. And you remember them old Plymouth seats was full of straw and everything? And that whole back end was on fire that we were sitting on there. And, I mean, we bailed out of that thing. And uh, we didn't care where we were there yet or not. We were wanting to get out of there. But uh, the question that's asked over and over is, uh, how, how much further do we have to go? How much further do we have to go? And, uh, boy, we're asking that same question today. So many people want to know, how much further, how much longer do you think it's going to be before the Lord comes back? I, I don't know. I don't know that answer, and no one else knows that answer. We just know that it's sooner today than it was yesterday. And it, if we make it through to tomorrow, it'll be sooner tomorrow than it was today. But I promise you this, because we, he's not failed us. He is coming back. Uh, and even just on remember those rides, we thought we'd never get there. And yet, you know, we did get there. And uh, same thing here. Now, Paul says this, Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, I think, is expressing his desire to achieve everything that God has in store for him. Oh, if we could come to that point in our life. Sometimes the real truth is the older we get and the more we've served the Lord, we just kind of have the idea, you know, let, let the younger people do it, and, and, and I'll just kind of relax, and I'll just, I'll continue to praise the Lord, and I'll love the Lord. That wasn't Paul's attitude. Paul said, let me tell you, I hadn't got there yet. I hadn't got there. But he said, I'm forgetting all those things that are behind me, and I'm pressing on toward the prize. I'm not giving up. I'm not slowing down. I'm not going to back up. He said, I've not learned all I should even yet. But I keep working toward the day that I'm finally going to be all that Christ saved me to be. Now, we know that's going to be on the glorious day of the, of the rapture. And if you don't believe in the rapture, that's okay, too. We'll just have seven years of enjoyment before you get there. Uh, I think probably the Lord's going to have a little pen for those who think we have to go through the tribulation. And you have to stay over there for seven years while we just go ahead and enjoy life 
Uh, but he, I'm just joking with you, just joking, okay? Uh, whenever the Lord comes, uh, we may not agree when he's going to come, but I think every one of us will agree here that he is going to come. He is going to be here. So I, I think uh, around the first of the year, it's always kind of an evaluation time for Americans. Uh, and we do a lot of physical things, but you know, the real truth is very little thought is given to our lives spiritually, how we should evaluate our lives spiritually. Uh, now, <clears throat> we're excellent at taking inventory of other people. I can tell you right now, I can, I can point to people and I can say, this is what you really need to do. And this is what you ought to do here. And you ought to be doing this. We're real good at pointing out what other people ought to be doing. We're just not real good at looking at ourselves and saying, this is where I need to be. Now, you know, Hebrews says we can come boldly before the Lord. And that boldly doesn't mean smart aleck or, or you know, cockeyed or anything like that. Boldly simply means that uh, we, we don't have to tiptoe. Do, do y'all know any people where you got to tiptoe around them? I mean, you got to be careful what you say, because if you say the wrong thing, they're going to get ticked off. And so you got to kind of tiptoe around them all the time. I get so tired of tiptoeing around people. But I want to tell you, God, we don't have to tiptoe around him. We can come boldly before the throne. Now, one of the reasons we can come boldly is because he already knows everything about us. I mean, so, so you think, uh, I, I was talking to a pastor this morning, and I already knew what the deal was. It's a big mess and all that. And he's given me all of this scoop. And I said, look, here's the bottom line. I've already talked to the district attorney, and I know what the deal is. So quit lying to me and get, just be honest. Just be honest. And then, of course, you know, he breaks down all that. But, but we, we, when we come to God, we can be honest because God already knows what we're doing. You're not going to hide anything from God. Paul said, not that I have already attained. And then he said, and, I, and I'm certainly not perfected. I'm not mature. And he said, I don't count myself to apprehend it. But I want to tell you, make no mistake about it now. Paul's desire, Paul's passion was to press on. Don't let anything stop me from pressing on, from pressing on. I, uh, I don't know what the future is going to hold. Uh, you know, sometimes when you, you, you kind of get with God and God begins maybe to show you something different and, and you're saying, God, that's not what I really want to do. Uh, but, but in these last days, you, you pray for me. I, I feel like maybe, you know, I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Uh, but I feel like maybe God is, is, is leading me more into a prophetic type of ministry. And, and I want to tell you, the prophets were not loved people. They were doom and gloom. But we got so much false uh, information going around about salvation, S somebody here in America is going to have to start telling the truth and being honest with what the Word of God says. And uh, we're, we're not, listen, we're not going to be able to live in sin habitually and then waltz into heaven like we're there, uh, you know, we've been there all our life. God's not going, that's not going to happen. If that would have happened, Jesus would have never needed to die on the cross. If we could get into heaven with our sin, there'd be no reason for Jesus to ever have died. The only reason he died is because 
there had to be a perfect lamb, a spotless lamb. Now, uh, how long has it been since you, and I don't mean to ask this out loud, you just answer it yourself, but how long has it been since you just sat down with a pencil and paper and you just evaluated your spiritual life? What, what, what are you doing for God? If everybody did what you did, you know, of course, one thing good, we'd have this crowd here. I mean, you're already heads up over because a lot of them not here tonight. <laughs> uh, I was asked this last week at New York by one of the pastors. He was talking about his church, uh, you know, had about 3,000 people in it. And boy, people, oh, well, I've been to his church. He ain't got 800 people. He, he, I mean, he's not much larger than us. You don't want to make people mad, but I said, he said, well, how big is Woodland Hills? I said, well, we got probably 2,500. I said, now, we can't catch but about 700, and we've got 1,500 that we couldn't get with an FBI search warrant. We don't even know where they are. Uh, but but uh, th those, those things, we, we need to sit down and evaluate ourselves. And one of the reasons is because if we don't, He'll end up doing it for us. And I promise you, you and I will come out better if we'll sit down and have a come-to-Jesus meeting with ourselves and the Lord than if he has to put us flat on our back to get our attention to come to him. Now, Paul is challenged, uh, and I'm challenged by his personal spiritual evaluation. Uh, Paul, Good grief, Paul was a man of God. Wow. The things that Paul did, and yet you listen to Paul here. He said, I, I don't believe I've laid hold of everything God has for me. He, he said, I, I just want to press on. If anybody could pride himself in what he had done, it would be the Apostle Paul. And yet Paul said, I, I need to grow more. I, need, I, got a, I got a long way to go before I'm like Jesus. And I'm going to press on for the prize uh, in his book, The Journey from Success to Significance. Uh, is, is John Maxwell says there's really six things that you need to do that make a significant contribution to this world or to the church or, or to your company or to your family or whatever. Number one is attitude, knowing how to feel. You see, when, when you're right with God, you attribute your success more to attitude than you do ingredient. I mean, most of the time is your attitude determines your altitude. It determines how high you're going to fly and how close you're going to walk with the Lord. Your attitude determines that there. If you believe you can grow to your potential, then that opens the door for self-improvement. If you don't believe you can grow to your intention, uh, to your potential there, then uh, uh, literally you're going to be like you are right now for the rest of your life. So uh, attitude, then priorities, knowing how to choose. Uh, you know, guys like us, we've laughed at ourselves for years because we're, we're jack of all trades, but we're master of none. Well, I think the Lord wants us to be master of some specifically. We, we've got to make choices where we can grow. And if it's not going to benefit the kingdom of God, it's not going to benefit our lives and, and uh, help people be saved, then maybe we need to make a different priority and not choose that and choose something else. And then thirdly, he said vision, knowing how to see. Vision is seeing things the way God wants them to be. And boy, we got a problem with that now because we really would like to see things the way we want them to be. 
But when you come to the fact of, uh, that you're going to submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, your vision has to be born out of God's desire and not after what you want. And some of the most miserable people I know in this world today talked with one on an airplane last night, loaded. I mean, he's made good money, he's, you know, but he's miserable. And one of the things he said was, I'm doing what my, what my daddy and mama wanted me to do, but I'm not doing what I enjoy doing. Mm. Your vision has to be what God wants you to do. Then fourthly, direction, knowing how to begin. Um, the vision is not just enough. You've got to combine that vision with a, with a venture. Uh, you, you can't just stare up the steps and say, boy, I'd like to climb up there. You've you got to put some feet to it there, overcome those barriers there, and, uh, and move and plan your first steps. What, what does it take? Are you closer to what God wants you to be in 2018 than you were when we started 2017? Or would you have to say, well, you know, I'm right back. I, I made a new commitment to get close to God in 2018. But the truth is I did that in 2017. And you look back, I did it in 2016. And I did it in 2015. And it lasts for a month or two, and then I'm through. Then, then the fourth thing is uh, the direction, knowing how to begin. And then, then the uh, creativity is the fifth thing, knowing how to think. Uh, I'm going to tell you something about life. Uh, we, we just need to understand this. I'm working with our staff, too, in, in, in getting ready to, to go into this building program. The building program seems excited, and whew, it's just so thrilling and all of that. But I want to tell you, it's going to be some bumpy roads. It's going to be some bumpy roads. Man, when you're headed in a direction, you've got to know how to think. And on any given journey, you're going to have a blowout, there's a tire's going to blow up. Uh, the thing may overheat. I mean, there are all kinds of obstacles that are going to get in your way. But you've got to make up your mind before you ever get started. This is what we're going to do. And those are nothing more than hiccups and obstacles in the way. And the same thing with your spiritual life. I, uh, uh, let me think who said it and make sure they're not here tonight. <laughs> I better keep my mouth shut, I guess. Uh, but uh, dealing with our teenagers and young people, you know, I, I wonder how many of our young people here who sit here on Sunday have parents or grandparents who've encouraged them to get in the Word of God. Or if we're just bringing them to church and say, well, you know, we're doing our part. We're bringing them to church. No, you're not doing your part. That, that's not your part. Your part is to make sure they grow spiritually. Let me tell you something about young people. They're kids. Quit treating them like adults. There's no 15-year-old that's going to do what's best. He's going to do what he wants to do. You say, well, mine's the exception. Oh, there always is one. But then later down the line, you realize that it wasn't that much of an exception. They need to see parents in the Word of God. I'll never forget, every morning we ever got up, my soul, we had to get up early. Good grief. I don't know why people have to get up that early in the morning. But when we'd get up, their daddy would be reading his Bible. Now, he had a third-grade education, and he read the King James. He never did complain. I can't understand it. 
He just read it. Amazingly, God told him what it said, I guess. But we saw that example every morning, not one or two mornings and then miss a month or whatever. Every morning we saw that. Every morning. I, that's what kids need to see. One of the greatest things that you can do as grandparents, because parents, they don't have time anymore. They're not going to do it. Is you can fix a meal and have everybody over sit down and eat at the same time. Tell them now you can't have no cell phones. Nobody's going to answer a phone. There can't be no TV on. There's no CD music playing. We're going to sit here and we're going to stare at each other until somebody says something. And you know what? It won't be long and you'll be cutting up having a good time together. Because that's how God creates families today. So we've got to be creativity and knowing how to think. And then you've got to be responsible and know how to finish. Life's a long process. You didn't just start it, blow in, blow up, blow out. That's it. No, it's a long process. We don't know how long God's going to give. So let me just think about four things that Paul says here. Verse 12, he begins with, with really a, a big disclaimer. The perception of where, where, where he is, he said, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. Now, that, that's, that's honesty. That's vulnerability. That's transparency. But let me tell you what else it is. Now, listen to me. You say, well, I could never say that. I wouldn't want nobody to believe that. That's vulnerability. That's uh, transparency. But let me tell you what else it is. It's security. It's security. When we begin to realize that we're nothing and God's everything, that's security. Hey, if I'm doing a job for the Lord and it blows up, that's not my problem. This thing was for him. It wasn't for me. It's not my problem. God's in this thing, okay? So he, he says, uh, he begins, uh, it, it, Jimmy Draper said it like this in his, uh, his uh, uh, book. He said, what Paul is almost saying is we're in the orchard. And there's fruit hanging all around. And he said, you look and man, bless God, there's two or three fruit that's ripe and ready to pick. But most of them are not ripe yet. And he said, that's where Paul is. He said, I've had some fruitful things and God is blessed, but I'm not there yet. I haven't attained. The fruit hasn't all been ripe. I've still got a long way to go before the fruit is ripe. Now, it speaks of awareness. He said, I've not yet attained to, pri to, to acquire the prize. And the prize is Christ-likeness. That's what the prize is. Uh, <clears throat> there is a psychological uh, uh, status that says that people, uh, human behavior, subconsciously retard their own intellectual growth. Now, there's also another one that says some people are educated beyond their intelligence, too. But, but this is, is uh, they subconsciously, they, and, and you know what they do when they do that is they begin to rely on cliches and habits. And they begin to talk about that. And then when they reach their age of their own personal comfort with the world, they just kind of stop learning. They turn their, their minds off and they just stop learning. Man, don't ever stop learning. Uh, I, I own, the, own the, the commode where I go to the bathroom. I have J. Vernon McGee's commentaries. 
uh, if I'm going to sit there, I just will get something out of it. And I'm telling you, you, just, it, you, you read the Word of God and you get the commentary. You don't quit growing. I don't care how old you are. You don't quit growing. You say, preacher, that, that's just, just terrible. No. Uh, uh, Louis Armstrong said this, there are some people that if they don't know, you can't tell them. If they don't know, you can't tell them. So he speaks of awareness, and then he speaks of accomplishment. He said, I'm, I, I'm not already perfected. I've not reached the goal that I'm trying to accomplish. And what you see here is Paul is dissatisfied with his own spiritual growth. And, and we ought to be dissatisfied with ours. If we're not doing what we can for the glory of the Lord, there ought to be a burden upon our heart to want to do more for Jesus. And, and then the pursuit is here. In, in that last part of verse 12, he said, I press on. I press on. And it's a diligent pursuit. It's not something that, well, let, let's talk about it, you know. I, I, uh, mm, I, I, I press on. I better just leave that alone. Pa Paul needed to perceive his need, but it's something else to pursue it, to press on, to be aggressive. D.L. Moody said this. He said, I'm only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And that which I can do, by the grace of God, I will do. That's a pretty good theme right there. Hey, God's not asking you to do anything that's beyond your... He's given you any tool you need to do what he calls you to do. If God says, I want you to do this, God's not throwing you out there like a, you know, a, a chicken under the bus in the middle of the road. He's going to equip you and give you everything you need to do the job that God has called you to do. Uh, very, the truth is very few people spend much of their life pursuing things bigger than they are. We just get satisfied for where we are. So there's a diligent pursuit here, and then there's a divine purpose. He said, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me or to seize or to overtake. Uh, his, his purpose in life was to be even with what God's purpose in life was in for. In other words, he, he's saying, this is what God has saved me for, so I want to be consistent in my life with that. I love this too. Paul didn't compare himself to others. It's a whole lot easier if we compare ourselves to others. So, well, you know, I'm, I'm as good as Mary Walton, you know. I saw her pop her court one time, and I, you know, I, I'm as good a Christian as she is. And, and, you know, we compare ourselves. Paul didn't do that. Paul compared himself to Jesus. I won't tell you, when you compare yourself to Jesus, you'll always come up short. You'll never be able to compare to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said to lay hold on is to possess. Our business, Stuart Johnson said this. It's, it's really a kind of a deep saying. Uh, it was, he's a businessman. He said our business in life is not to get ahead of others, but to get ahead of ourselves, to break our own records. To get ahead of ourselves. To outstrip our yesterday by what we're doing today. To work with more force than we've ever worked with before. That, that's what our goal is. It's not to beat somebody else. It's to beat what we've done ourselves. To become more like Christ. Uh, to lay hold of, to apprehend, or to arrest. Uh, Paul, you, you remember, was on his way to Damascus. Uh, to arrest believers. He was going to wreak havoc upon the Christian church. And he had already done that to many other churches before that. And then 
Christ ended up arresting him. And from that time on, Paul wanted what Jesus, that's why he said, Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, you tell me what you have me do. Now, if you say, Lord, you tell me what you want me to do, but I would tell you right now, Lord, I'm not into this. Well, then don't call him Lord. He either is Lord or he's not Lord. And I want to give you a little secret. He is Lord. Now, you may not have made him Lord of your life, but I'll tell you, there'll come a day when you will. There'll come a day when you'll bow and you'll confess like everyone else that he is Lord. So Paul says, uh, uh, I, I want to lay hold of what Jesus has already laid hold of for me. In the Bible, we're warned against false estimate of our, our spiritual condition. The church at Sardis in Revelation, they had a name that they're alive, but he said, you're dead. You got a name over here that you're alive, but the truth is you're dead. The church at Laodicea, they said, I'm rich. I've become wealthy. Don't have need of nothing. But God says, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Mm. The Laodicean church, in contrast to that, Smyrna, they were poor. Yet God says, you think you're poor, but you're really rich. And then Samson, I think probably the saddest, if not the one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. Continually, he had been uh, fighting the uh, Philistines, and, and uh, finally uh, Delilah cut his hair. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He woke, and this is what he said, quoting out of the verse of King James, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. How sad. How sad to get so comfortable. You know, I, I tell these young preachers all the time, when you can get up here to stand here and preach, and you're not nervous, <laughs> and you're not saying, oh, God, you got to do this. Now, if you don't do this, God, we're all going to be looking like idiots this morning. God, you've got to do this. When you get up and you can preach without doing that, then I tell you, you just well sit down. You just well sit down. Knowing not that the Lord had departed from him. It, it, uh, the statistical thing, a survey, asked 50 people, and all 50 of them were in their late 90s. They asked 50 people in their late 90s, if you had to live life over again, what would you do differently? Here's the top three answers that almost every one of them gave. Number one, I would reflect more. Hmm. When's the last time you just sat down and reflected a little bit about how good God's been to you, about what God wants you to do, about how God's answered prayer, about how God has brought people into your life that, man, you don't know how they got there. I'd reflect more. Number two, they said I'd risk more. I'd risk more. Hmm. We're not just talking about physical money or anything. We're talking about spiritual things too. I'd risk more. See, some of you, God, God has really put it within your heart that you could be teaching a Bible study or life group, but you just don't want to take the risk. What if I fail? I know people who are still lost because they don't want to take the risk. They don't know if they can live the Christian life or not. Well, I can tell you that right now. You can't. No way in the world you're going to live the Christian life. 
You're going to have to die to yourself, and Christ is going to have to live through you. So they would reflect more, they'd risk more. And here's the third thing they said. I would do more things that would live on after I'm dead. Wow. Boy. We, uh, we got a check today, a good-sized check for the building for eternity. And it was from Ms. Ruby Simmons' family. She said, Mama loved children, and we want to give this money because that building's going to go on forever and help children. Mm. How, we, how we just do things that would live on after we're dead. You know, the question is, most of us, what we're doing the day we die is going to die with us. What does Christ like this look like? Let me just finish with this. Just hurry through here. Number one, to look like Jesus, you've got to be serving. You've got to be serving. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci said this, shun those studies in which the work that results dies with the workers. If the work's not going to last past the workers, then just don't, don't waste your time with it. You've got to serve. Secondly, loving. Third, giving. Fourth, kindness. Fifth, gentleness. Sixth, caring. Jesus attributed all of these here. Uh, doing things for others. Uh, and then helping. The man who keeps busy helping the man below him won't have time to envy the man above him. <laughs> Let me say that again because that's good. The man who keeps busy helping the man below him won't have time to envy the man who's above him. And then Lawrence Bell, one of my favorites I've used for years, he said this, you show me a man who cannot bother to do the little things and I'll show you a man who can't be trusted to do the big things. That's what the Lord said. You, 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 you be faithful over this, this small thing, and then I'll make you to be ruler over more things. I, you know, we got people want to come right on in and act like, it's the same thing with being married. I mean, some of y'all, uh, you were married 25, 30 years before you ever bought a bedroom suit. I don't have that way today, buddy. Before they're ever married, the bedroom suit's got to be delivered. The big television's got to be in there. Two-car garage and all that. We've got kids that have more when they get married today than most parents did the first 30, 40 years of their life. And then that's fine. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying we've come to expect that. And I will tell you, in doing that, we become complacent to where we are. Father, I thank you tonight for allowing us just to come and fellowship and study your word. God, would you make us more like you? May we have the attitude of Paul to say, we've not, comp we've not apprehended yet. We've not gotten there yet. We're weak. We're so in need of you in everything we do. God, would you forgive us for not depending upon you totally? And Lord, we ask you, would you just help us to be the, the kind of person that would honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ? God, we want our lives to be effective here on this earth. I can't help but believe that that's not true. There'd be no reason for anybody to be here on Wednesday night unless they really honestly wanted to be, be used of you and, and be a part of the kingdom of God. Lord, have your way 
in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Don't forget uh, Sunday, Sunday morning. <clears throat> uh, I know uh, we, we've had a lot of special services and everything, and some of that's because of these surgeries and everything. And I, I got our staff does more than what they need to be doing anyway. But Sunday morning, Matt uh, Wilder is going to be here. Matt is a tremendous young man. He was a former Mormon, and he's going to uh, just share his testimony and and sing some and quote scripture and all. You're going to be so blessed. It's going to be so blessed. It's going to be tremendous. And then Sunday night, uh, I, I, I know uh, I'm not going to watch Super Bowl. I made a commitment not to, anyway. But you help yourself. There are life groups that are watching it, and I have no problem with that. But if your life group's not meeting, or uh, we're going to have some testimonies and a little music over at Jason's Deli, 530 Dutch Treat. We've got the banquet room rented back there. And we're just, uh, you know, if your group's not meeting, come and fellowship with us. If it's just me and Becky, uh, we'll fellowship and act like we got good sense. But if you don't have anywhere to go Sunday night, you come and we'll praise the Lord and worship together, all right? That's this Sunday. You mean, okay, well, good, good, good. Somebody pick up the bill, praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right. God bless y'all. Huh? Let me tell you something, man. That New York stuff, high. Uh, you know, uh, when, when uh, around here, Becky and I can eat cheaper out than we can almost by cooking. But you can't do that in New York. Even if you split a plate, you know, it's going to cost you $45. So, uh, But it was good. That's <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs>